You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. I want to start with uh, three quotes today. First quote is this. God is always up to 10,000 things in your life, but you might only be aware of three or four of them. Do you believe this? Second quote. All of creation is a theater of God's beauty on display. Have you experienced this? And then lastly, from Romans 1. Since the beginning, God's characteristics have been displayed through his creation. Do you see this? It's interesting when you think about Jesus, he walked from town to town, and when he did his teachings, he used everyday pictures of his creation that he made to give glimpses and pictures of the kingdom. Uh, He talks about uh, seeds in a field. He talks about a mustard plant, the smallest of seeds that grows into the biggest plant that gives shade for many uh, birds. Uh, One of the things he would have seen a lot of when he was walking around, and you might see in our city as well, is olive trees. Olive trees. Uh, Do any of you have an olive tree on your property? How do you feel about your olive tree? Doesn't bear fruit. That can be, we can go a lot of different routes with that. But olive trees, Jesus would have seen a bunch of olive trees. Olive trees are pretty amazing. Uh, I should have Chris Hamilton get up here. He's, he's got the landscape background. I just did a quick Google search. Um, we don't have an olive tree. Sometimes I'm really thankful for that, and other times I'm not, because it's a good picture. We're going to talk about it here in a second. But olive trees are one of the most resilient of plants, Uh, There's a tree, an olive tree in Sweden that's thought to be almost, uh, I think it's at least a thousand years old. They just, you can't kill them. If the roots uh, stay intact and everything looks good underneath ground, like they'll just, even if you cut it down, they'll continue to grow. Hence, often you see olive trees, uh, what gardeners try to do or landscapers is they create that hedge at the base of it, right? Because all the sprouts keep sprouting up. And instead of trying to cut down all the sprouts every day or every week, they create the hedge because all the trees, even if they're cut down, will just continue to grow. They're resilient trees. They're resilient. Uh, we have a bunch of trees like that in the desert, right, where we live. Uh, everywhere you go, you have trees that are able to uh, tolerate the greatest of droughts. And those quotes I gave you earlier of how we, earlier, how we see creation, it's always a glimpse. It's a picture of what God's like that God has built into creation his patterns in trees, in the ground, in things that you see, things that you experience, parts of who God is, but also gives you a glimpse of who you might need to become. And for the last three weeks, we've been in a series talking about the three things you need to become a resilient disciple. Because the vision of our church is that you wouldn't be following Jesus for five months or for five weeks, but for 50 years. How do we create a culture of fast fashion and consumer trends where things are up and down all of the time? Things are constantly changing. Discipleship that is resilient, 
able to withstand the severest of droughts, able to overcome the most challenging of circumstances. And even for the kids in our midst that just were dedicated or baptized, that they would have a resilient faith that regardless of the circumstances of their life, no matter what challenges lie ahead, which there will be challenges, not just for them, but for you, a resilience that's needed to stand in the midst of some severe circumstances. And so we've been looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 12, as I almost hit my podium over three times now. And I would love for you to turn there. Romans chapter 12. I keep on telling you 12. I think it's actually verse 11, but it's 11 or 12. I keep on going back and forth. Romans chapter 12. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be joyful in hope. Last week, we talked about what it means to be patient in affliction. If you missed those two weeks, you can find it on the podcast if you'd like to follow along. And this week it will be talking about being faithful in prayer. If week one was about a perspective, being joyful in hope, week two was about your posture, patience and affliction. And this week is about your practice. Your practice, faithful in prayer as a resilient disciple of Jesus. Romans 12, 12. So I was right first, I guess. I second-guessed myself. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. I want to explore that just for a bit today, just for a few moments. What does it mean for us to be faithful in prayer, to cultivate prayer as a resilient disciple? The first question we must ask is, what does the word patience mean here? The word patience has the idea of consistently prevailing. In other words, to consistently show up, to return in some ways, over and over and over again. It's interesting that that's the word that comes up here, right? Maybe that's not the first thing that you think of when you think of patience, But patience simply here means to return. It's a prompting to come back to the same place over and over again. Most mornings uh, when I get up and after uh, the, I semi help Keaton, I'm not always the best help before I go off to work, but when I'm, sometimes I do. But once I help her and I get everything gets set up and I go out the door to get in the car and I usually then start to drive to get my day started. Usually it means at some kind of coffee shop. Uh, I don't know about you, if you have an iPhone, but the latest iOS feature, at least I've noticed over the last three or four months, is that the moment I sit my, uh, my bottom in the car, my phone buzzes. Have you guys had this experience? It's like my phone knows I'm in the car, and then it pulls up on there and it says, like, uh, suggested route to where I typically go. That day. Maybe you guys have turned off all the features that are sharing your data with the whole world, and I have not. But that's been my experience. Literally, you sit in the car, maybe because my phone's hooked up to uh, the car with the Bluetooth. I literally sit down, and every time I'm like excited because I think it's a text message or something exciting, and it's, hey, suggested route, press coffee on Rio Salado, Par- Rio Salado Parkway. You usually go there around this time each day. Whoa, that's kind of creepy, right? Apple is following you. They're following all of us. Uh, but it's a picture. It's a picture that your phone knows you better than yourself in some ways, but it's a place that you return to over and over and over again. In some ways, the picture of being faithful in prayer is simply a return, as if you constantly find yourself going towards the same place, 
like your iOS system picking up and tracking where you spend time for work? Like, what if instead of it was uh, that your phone was able to predict where you'd go, like you were able in your life, in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, it would just predict this is where you go to pray all of the time. Like it's a habit. It's so ingrained in who you are. It's so deep in your bones that you return over and over and over again. That's what the picture is of faithful in prayer. And it's interesting here because if the picture is being joyful in hope, your perspective, being patient in affliction, your posture, the thing of all the things that Paul could tell us to do here in Romans 12, which he gives you a lot in a list, he says be faithful in prayer. Of all things, prayer as the thing that Paul sees as central to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So just to give some brief thoughts around what it means to be faithful in prayer, I want to give you a definition of prayer, an encouragement, and then a call. Definition, an encouragement, and a call. The first thing is a definition. Prayer is one of those words that's maybe overused. It's really broad. It's lost maybe some of its meaning. But let me give you two simple definitions. Dallas Willard says, prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. I love the simplicity of that. Uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, he says, prayer is answering God. Eugene Peterson gives a picture of how a child learns language. How does a child learn language? They're spoken to over and over and over again for the first several years until finally they speak back. That prayer is because God has already been speaking to you. He's already been trying to make himself known. And prayer is simply talking back, answering God. So maybe to put those two together, prayer is an ongoing conversation with God about what we are doing together. Maybe you've heard of the verse, it's uh, one of Paul's letters, it says, pray without ceasing. It says you should be praying at all times. I've always been really intimidated by that. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, that is the one of the most maybe discouraging voice, verses in the entire Bible. What does that even mean? Like, I have, a work, I have work to do. I have a family to tend to. I have things I want to accomplish. How do you pray without ceasing? But if prayer is an ongoing conversation with God, if faithful in prayer is just returning to God over and over again, maybe it's as simple as how do I direct all of my thoughts, all of the moments of my day with an awareness of God's presence? Like, uh, the next time you wake up, like, how could you think about your first hour of the day that never uh, took maybe even five minutes of sitting by yourself alone in a room to pray, but to see the whole thing as prayer? From the moment you wake up out of your bed, thanking God that you've been given another day to live. From the moment you walk to get a cup of coffee, recognizing all the work that took in to get that cup of coffee before you, and the labor that God's doing in your life that's hidden work often, like the hidden work of that coffee cup that made that beautiful cup of coffee. Uh, whether it's uh, being interrupted by a little one who's waking up and running out of their room an hour before they're supposed to, and turning that frustration and anger into a delight that that's how God wants to meet us, that he has come to interrupt us and to give, him a, give us a picture of himself, to getting in the car and beginning to drive to wherever you have to go that day, God, what do you want to do through me and in me and with me? You've done nothing uh, different than what you maybe typically do, but now all of it has been seasoned with prayer, a recognition that God is with you and that he wants to have an ongoing conversation with you about whatever you're up to that day. 
Like, what would, what would that look like in us as a people if prayer became like that? Yes, moments where we get away and pray maybe for an hour or days or, or whatever that might look like, but also like the everyday stuff when you don't have a lot of time, when you are constantly being interrupted, when you're facing really stressful circumstances. Prayer without ceasing maybe becomes a little bit more simple, easier to obtain, easier to experience, faithful in prayer. And just see what God does. See how he meets you in that. So that's the definition. Here's the encouragement. My, uh, my hunch is I sit with you and uh, a bunch of different people is that there's a nine sense that most people experience between their current reality and who they are and their desire of what they want to become and the gap between. People recognize here's where I am or what I'm up to. Here's my current experience but here's really what I want to become, or here's really how I want to experience God, or here's really what I want my life to look like. And the gap in between creates frustration, despair. Uh, It creates a sense of I'm not living into uh, what I was made to be. Or even the gap maybe between what I'm experiencing right now and the, uh, the reality of what I know to be true about God doesn't seem to line up. Like, hey, right now I'm experiencing this, and I know God to be good and true and beautiful and a redeemer and restorer, but there's a gap in between my experience and what I know to be true about God. Like, what do you do with that gap? I mean, you can do a lot of things with that gap. But all of us have that experience, that dissonance of how do I make sense of my reality with what I know to be true about God. Here's my simple encouragement. How you close the gap, in a sense. Like, what if prayer was the simple closing of the gap? That actually still talking to God about what you're experiencing is an encouragement to you that showcases to you that your faith is actually really rich. That even though your experience and who you know to be true about God seems to be a big gap, seems to be separate, Prayer is a simple little marker that showcases to you that you have really rich faith. That you can, uh, when you sit with God and recognize and you sit with him in that gap, like that's, he would say that's rich faith. He would come to you and say, hey, well done, sitting in the gap between what your current experience is and what you know to be true and waiting and longing for God to do something. The other options are we can lead to despair. We can stop talking to God altogether. Or we can try to work really hard to fix the problems we're currently experiencing. But what of rich faith defined by Paul, defined by Jesus, is simply coming back to God and recognizing and showcasing, God, I know this to be true about you, but this is my experience. And so I'm going to keep coming to you, though. I'm going to keep returning. I'm going to keep coming to you over and over again because there's nowhere else I can go. Doesn't mean the gap's going to necessarily close, especially not overnight. But it is a picture here of what faithful in prayer looks like. It's a returning to God over and over again. It's a resilience that's developed in us to say, God, I I recognize the gap that exists. I trust at the end of the story, you're going to redeem and restore all things. But I'm going to keep talking to you about my current experience. Not just the good stuff, but the really hard stuff too. And the last thing is this. It's a call. If prayer is a marker of rich faith to return to God, 
then the call is that prayer is the means of God's mission. Paul, uh, Paul, Ben brought this out months ago when we were in Ephesians, that prayer is the means in which God advances his work in the world. I was in a uh, um, one-day like counseling seminar intensive about how do we as leaders become a more uh, trauma-informed uh, people or leaders or church. And one of the really striking things that um, the counselor shared with us is that her marker of wholeness or healing was an increased capacity for others. Think about how different that is often from how we think about healing and wholeness as in the self separated from others. But she was saying, hey, no, actually healing and wholeness is for your capacity to be increased to love others. I don't know about you, but my capacity to love others often isn't increasing. It's diminishing. Often uh, when I think about healing and wholeness, I don't think in that category or setting. But I wonder if prayer can be the starting place for you to increase your capacity to hold space for others. This happens, this happens maybe to you all the time. It happens to me. Uh, you begin to pray, and you don't know where you're going to go and what you're going to pray about, and then people come to mind. Like, oh, I need to reach out to that person. I haven't thought of them for a while. Uh, I've seen my wife do that like three times this past week. Uh, I'm going to start to pray, oh, oh, there's this thing that I need to tend to. Your capacity is increasing for others. Prayer is the means in which God advances his mission in the world. So if you're confused about what to do, you're confused about how you participate in God's story, you're confused about where, what you should do or where you should go or what you should be about in the world, what if you started with prayer and just see what God does? See what he leads you to, what other people he might have you encounter to love and to serve and to nurture. Before I lead you to the communion table, I want to not just have a sermon about prayer, which would be really easy, but actually to practice it. And so I'm going to invite you uh, with your row or some people around you to just sit with one another. And here's what we're going to do. It's going to take some courage uh, from at least one person. But I'd love for one person to share something tangibly to pray for or to pray, have other people pray with them, to partner with them in prayer. Now, it could be something that's really pressing on your heart. It could be for a person particularly that you have in mind. It could be for a situation that you're facing or that you know that's coming up. But whenever that person names, whoever the first person is that names it, I'd love for you as a, as a, as a group to begin praying on behalf of that thing. Interceding, maybe, is what's needed. Uh, maybe it's just praying for comfort and presence in the midst of something that's really challenging. Maybe it's praying for wisdom or discernment. But right now, to practice being faithful in prayer, we have our flinch be when something is shared to move towards God in prayer. So I'm going to have you get with somebody around you. One person will have to have some courage. I'd love for that person to share. And then I'd love for you to uh, enter right into prayer for whatever is shared. And then I'll call us back in a couple of minutes. I have a small glimpse of the longing that's in this room. In the weeks to weeks and the stories I hear, I know in this room it holds a lot of longing. A lot of present experiences that don't match often the experience that we know to be true about who God is. And the longing is painful. 
to be joyful in hope is something that has to be cultivated, and it's really hard. To be patient in affliction is not an easy process. To uh, stay yoked up to Jesus and to bear the weight, at least a small part of it, as you go through the different circumstances of your life. And then here, to be faithful in prayer. The last thing maybe you want to do in longing and disappointment is to return to God in prayer. But as you long, much like you would long for food or drink, you're just longing often just for a little taste, a glimpse of what you know to be true at the end of the story. That if Jesus has resurrected from the grave and he will return to make all things new, you're just wanting a small taste of that in the here and now in the present. Because the taste, just a small bit of it, will help you and remember and help you recognize that God is with you in the present. And he's going to be, at the end of time, redeeming and restoring all things. But you just need a taste. Like, God, give me some kind of a glimpse. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear because my present experience doesn't match. This is why we come to communion every week. You come because you're coming to get a little taste, a little glimpse of the body and the blood of Jesus. A little taste and glimpse as the little ones are going to come in our midst that they don't even really know what they're doing. But they're being formed that we want them to long for this table because we want them to long for Christ. We want you to long for Christ. To get a little glimpse in the here and now in your present circumstances of his resurrection and his return. Because this is what this table represents. It's Jesus' death and resurrection, but the feast that is to come the feast that we'll share with all tribes, tongues, and nations, gathered before King Jesus, telling story after story of how he took the most twisted and distorted of circumstances and brought about beauty and life and goodness and healing and wholeness and bodies that work and friendships that are restored and communities that thrive, marginalized people that are centered, all of that. We get to taste a little glimpse of that right now. And so would you stand? Before I invite you to the table, the Hamiltons will serve you. We're going to recite here the mystery of our faith. Maybe you can hold to nothing else today other than these three lines being true. And that is okay. A reminder to parents as you bring up young children, our practice here is that everyone, all the children are welcome to the table to come and receive from the king. But we'd ask the parents, if you have a child who hasn't been uh, who hasn't professed faith in Christ, for you to give them the sacraments, for you to receive and then to hand them because this is the whole picture of being raised so that one day they'll receive for themselves, that one day Josie Visser and Eli and, and Luna and Corinthian, they'll receive for themselves from the table. But for now, you are stewarding that for them. And so when you come to the table, just, rem just remember that if you're coming as a parent. Let's recite the mystery of our faith and then you can file this way over to the communion table. Let's say this together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and feast. <laughs>